you can have a stronger foundation and in the process, uh, you don't freak out. You don't get lost. You don't get tossed here and there. You don't get, uh, Easy, you're not easily manipulated. Right. You can see through all of the smoke and the fog and the baloney and the emotionalism, and you can realize, wow, I, I can navigate this and do so with joy and overcome the chaos, not only in the world, but in my life right now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey you must take on your own, but we can come alongside you to help encourage you, uh, challenge you, teach you how to critically think for yourself. Critically think for yourself. That's the key. And tell some fun jokes along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer, and I'll be your host. And we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Oh, it's so good to be here, everyone. I'm so glad that uh, I'm back from my sabbatical. I'm just fired up. I've got so much stuff. I'm just got to contain myself in what uh, (laughs) the Lord wants me to share with you. So hopefully we'll get to it. But we're really going to be digging in through first Peter and really helping you understand how you can have a stronger foundation. And in the process, uh, you don't freak out. You don't get lost. You don't get tossed here and there. You don't get, uh, you're not easily manipulated, right? You can see through all of the smoke and the fog and the baloney and the emotionalism. And you can realize, wow, I I can navigate this and do so with joy and overcome the chaos not only in the world, but in my life right now. Yeah, and uh, today's actually going to be a very exciting day because we're going to take the principles of 1 Peter chapter 2 and apply them to our current world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've laid the groundwork of why everyone seems to be freaking out in our society. (laughs) It seems everything bad for human beings is going up. I mean, mental health problems, anxiety, depression, lack of meaning, lack of direction, suicide and attempted suicide, um, children born out of wedlock, marriages are falling apart, economic disparity increasing. The list just goes on mm-hmm. and on, and now I'm a little depressed. After reading just that. reading the list. Wow. Uh, 85% of Americans in the latest survey stated that our nation is yeah. a nation on the decline. That's unbelievable. It is on the wrong track. America is a pretty diverse nation. Yes. And they rarely agree on anything. Yes, so that we rarely fact agree. That 85% agree <laughs> on this subject is yeah. unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Unfortunately, the agreement is that we are on the wrong track. And so how do we as people who follow Jesus and see the world through a different lens navigate this chaos and everything (laughs) it is creating in our own lives today? Well, way to go. That intro, boy, you knocked it out of the park. You kind of nailed it. (laughs) Well, I think it's pretty obvious no one's happy right now. I mean, nobody's happy right now. I think even as people who are following Jesus, it's really hard for them to be happy right now. I think a lot of people, their faith is really... Uh, being turned upside down in a lot of ways. And uh, I think that on the surface that can be difficult, but in the end, it's a, it's a good thing. No one likes to go through trials and tribulations. No one likes to go through the chaos or things being completely unsettled. But in the end, what it does is it presents an opportunity for you to really understand what you believe and why you believe it. It Mm. really starts to help you clarify your core values and those, those foundational stones that make up your life. Now we can look at the external signs of why everybody's unhappy and why our society seems to be going in the wrong direction. And then, you know, draw some 
conclusions. However, I think it's the spiritual undertones of our nation that are the most concerning to me. It seems that the whole idea of one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all is about to be rent right in two. I really do. I think we're getting so close to that. Now, it's not as divided as we are during the Civil War, obviously. I mean, that's when the country did divide in two. Right. And it took a war to reunite it. And by the way, out of every war, including World War One and World War Two, the Civil War was the most costly in lives in American history. So more mm. people died and more Americans died in the American Civil War than in any other war we fought in, which is really quite remarkable when you think about it. However, it seems like we're getting close to that again. The, the two sides are so far apart of the vision of what America is supposed to be. It's, it, the, there's no way to compromise the two and bring them together. And that seems to be a struggle. So how do you then, uh, and I, and everybody listening navigate this? How do we navigate this increasing chaos uh, how do we navigate uh, its impact on us and our own families? Mm. You know, one of the things that happened in the Civil War that was so devastating is you had families where brother fought against brother. Just think about that, how difficult that must have been. How do we live joyous lives in the midst of an American society where 85% of the people are depressed and think it's going on the wrong path? Well, Let's go back to First Peter chapter 2, and let's really dig into uh, what we studied last week as biblical principles, okay? Because these principles are what allow us to navigate with joy all of these challenges. And the first one in chapter 2, he starts off by saying, look, because of what salvation actually is, what it has done in you, what it is doing in you, and what it will do in you, don't live in a way that makes a war with your soul. Second of all, he said, look, you live in a culture um, and you need to understand this culture. Be aware of the culture you live in. It has strengths and it has weaknesses. Number three is you got to navigate the challenges of living in this pagan society. You have to uh, live in the best way possible that allows God to build you into this spiritual house and become who you were intended to become. And this is how you live as his chosen people. This is what it means to be set apart by God, adopted into his family. You were, a, you were a people without, you know, you were a person without people, and now you are a people, the chosen people of God. And this is how you have to live in the midst of this uh, crooked and perverse generation. Okay, well, let's take these ideas and, and apply them to what's going on today. What, okay. what do you see are the major values in our society that are waging war against our souls? Well, we could talk about the basics, you know, and we've done this before. Well, there's the ideology of social theory, critical race theory, Marxist ideology that's really causing a lot of problems. We could talk about the overt sexualization and gender identity issues that are going on in our society. We could talk about um, materialism and how because of materialism, you know, we're in uncharted waters economically as a country. Our, our nation has now spent more money. We are more in debt, over $30 trillion than, uh, uh, than at any time than any nation in, in history. And so no one really knows, you know, what's going to happen. One of the things that's happening right now is we're having this massive inflation and that's just killing people right and left. Right. And so um, economically, not, you know, I'm not, that was a figure of speech. So right. uh, economically, it's just really hurting 
family. So we could look at all of these externals, but what I want to do is try to go upstream to the core nugget and say that, look, our world lives in a way it's adopted values and principles in today's world that teaches us or, or it doesn't teach us, but it gets us to think in a way that we forget who we are. We have forgotten ourselves. This is the goal of deconstructionism, by the way. There is no memory on which to build a basic understanding of who you are. It seems to me that the overwhelming emphasis of our society today in the culture is that uh, young people rule, right? And mm. and so this is a uh, the underbelly of this I- ideology is that we don't have any foundation. Uh, on which we have zero memory on which to understand who we are as a people. When, when you don't know who you are, that's a huge problem. It's a huge issue. It brings all kinds of chaos in your life. And as you encounter issues, uh, you fold up like a cheap pump dent from Walmart. You know, I mean, you just collapse. You have, and that's why so many people call younger generation snowflakes, but everybody, is kind of becoming a, a snowflake. They're just freaking out and, and caving right. in the face of, of challenges. Every, all research shows, all research shows that a family in the family you grow up in is necessary for psychological development. It is the birthplace of your initial identity. It's where you learn language. It's where you learn basic culture, right and wrong, perspective, morality. It all happens in the family. And so if you don't know who you are, if you didn't grow up in a family or your family was so disconnected or toxic, you don't have any memory of who you are as a people. And I think this is why Peter says in verse nine of chapter two, he goes, look, you are a chosen people. He's saying, I want to remind you when you became saved, you were chosen by God. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I mean, think about that for a moment. He's reminding them, This is who you are. You are God's special possession. Why? Because you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Oh, so I lived in the darkness. Now I'm in the light. Wow, this is awesome. He goes on to say, look, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You were once, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I think the thing that we need to understand is we need to invest in remembering who we are because the stronger my foundation, the more memory I have that allows me to build an identity to navigate all of this chaos. I won't fold. I don't freak out in the midst of chaos. In other words, I need to ask myself this question every day. Who am I in Jesus? What has he done to bring me back from death to life, uh, from darkness into the light? Uh, What did he do in me to my soul when he redeemed me, when I uh, made my profession of faith, when I was baptized, when I repented, when I said, I believe, and I wrote that confession out, well, what actually happened in me when that occurred? Is there any change that he did in me? And I should affirm that. So who am I now? You know, Paul said, if you're in Christ and you've been redeemed by him, there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1. So I think this is really powerful stuff. And unless we start remembering who we are, we aren't going to be able to build an identity that has the strength to stand the challenges of the assault on who we are going on right now in our society. So talk to me about the more we affirm who we are in Jesus and the stronger our sense of identity grows, I think this would be powerful for many men in my generation specifically. Everyone has told them who they are to be. And unfortunately, um, those experts seem to be wrong, right? They, <laughs> they, they turned said, out yeah, to be false. Everything about your manhood is yeah. toxic and bad. Yeah, and professing now, to be wise, they became fools. Yes, so talk to me about what our next biblical principle is. I mean, we see these these different things. So, Well, I think, I think it's really important is that once you reaffirm who you are and you have a memory from which to build uh, the identity that you've been given in Christ, is you have to acknowledge the fact that you live in today in a syncretic society. Uh, another way to say it is in biblical times, it'd be you live in a pagan society. Okay. Now they use this term in the first century to refer to a lot of different things. It wasn't just the Greek, uh, God structure that the Romans had adopted, meaning there were many gods. It was also a certain way of thinking about life. Okay. And so what we need to do is we need to realize we, uh, in America today reflect a lot of the same values that Rome was exhibiting during the times that the church was birthed. Okay. And growing. And when Peter wrote this letter to them and, and it's very important before I discuss this to realize multiple things can be true at the same time. You can be a patriot. You can love your country and love America and accept the biblical analysis of where we're at and that we live in a paganistic society today with such a diverse set of values that there's really no way to bring them together in one unified value-based group. Okay, number two, you can have core values in your society that come from a biblical worldview. Uh, In other words, these are the things that our nation was founded on while at the same time having a general populace of people who approach life as uh, syncretists or their values of paganism. So you can have both of those things at the same time. So we got to go back to this phrase that Peter writes that I really want to dig in today, which is really going to rock your world. And that is this in verse 13 of chapter two, he says this, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, in this uh, ancient Rome, when Peter wrote this letter, it was a dictatorship. So, I think what we have to ask ourselves as followers of Christ, if we believe the Bible and we believe it is the word of God, we have to ask yourself, what does it mean when he wrote this? Well, first and foremost, it means exactly what it says. You don't have to play with words and mix words. It means that we are to submit to every human authority. And he talks off with the emperor who's a supreme authority, the very emperor Nero, who was persecuting them and killing them for unjust 
reasons. As a matter of fact, they were accused of doing something they didn't do. Right. Right. And so they were being rounded up. They're being arrested. They were being fed to lions, executed upside down. And as I said on Tuesday, uh, they were being made as human torches. Yeah. For garden parties for Nero. Okay. However, in order to understand exactly what it means, context is really important. Okay. And in this Roman dictatorship, you had to understand is that they had no say in the societal structure. The societal structure of Rome in the first century was basically this. You had the emperor at the top as a very strong hierarchy, and it was based on what they wore. And that is only the emperor, only Nero was allowed to wear a purple toga. Right. Nobody else was allowed to wear that. Only him. Okay. Number two is right underneath that you had what is known as the patrician families. These were the wealthiest families. They tracked their ancestry through the census back to the founding families of Rome. The patrician families were the senators that made up the Senate. Okay. Uh, then you had senators and the senators, not all the senators were patrician families. You could have some senators, uh, from other walks of life or other structures, but predominantly they were patrician families that had a certain number of boats. I believe that they had 98 boats. Okay. okay. Then you had the equestrians right below that. Okay. And these aren't just people that ride horses, right? No, but he, well, it's a really interesting history there is because what happened is it comes from the Roman military and it was a cavalry, right? In, in order to be in the cavalry in the Roman military, you had to have some wealth because to actually own and breed horses was, would, yeah. Yeah, it, it was not. It's the same as today. You have to have a little bit of wealth in order to own and breed horses. Breed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> horses are expensive as yeah. someone who used to be very involved with them. Yeah, I was, I was just laughing. Somebody uh, at a joke, somebody told me, said, ah, 100 years ago, everybody had a horse in the barn, you know, and they dreamed of buying a car. Now everybody has a car, and you know, and that dreams of buying a horse. <laughs> so it's kind of backwards today. But anyway, um, I think it's really important to understand. The, but what happened is these equestrians then as the, they uh, were so effective at war, their, the land mass uh, grew, okay? And so it got, the empire got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more, the bigger it got, the more you needed capable people to run it. Right. And so what the equestrians did is they started to become the business owners, the, the economists, the, that class that's really important to running a successful economy and a country and a, a civilization. Right. right. They became known as the equestrians. And so even it, though it came from the Roman cavalry, it came to mean something a whole lot more. And then right underneath them, you had the plebeians. These were the working class. They were men who didn't have any wealth. And so they worked for a living at jobs. They were artisans, craftsmen, bakers, and said, but they were freemen. Mm. Okay. They were citizens. And then underneath that, you had freed slaves uh, who could be freed and not citizens, or you could purchase a citizenship. And often the one of the way to become a plebe was you would serve in the military for a certain period of time, and then you could become a citizen. And then, of course, slaves. And a lot of people don't realize is that anywhere from a third uh, to 50% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Okay, they were owned by somebody. So, so the point is, is based on that, Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Now you're not doing this for your sake. You're not doing it for the country's sake, the Roman empire. You're doing it for the sake of the Lord. So what, what is God trying to achieve by having me submit to the authority? All right. Well, he's saying that there's a purpose to that. 
right? Okay. And here's where the most important principle you will ever hear as a follower of Jesus in America today. And it is a principle that I have not heard any pastor or preacher articulate in the last 50 years. So this is going to rock your world. Everybody, okay? everybody perk up your ears. If you're zoned out, yeah. this is the point this you should be paying important. attention. Okay. When America was founded as a nation, our founders knew this verse. Okay. And they understood that they, they had a high view of scripture. Okay. And the point is, is that it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And then he articulates in Rome what the authority structure was, right? Emperor, okay, governors, or those sent by governors, right? And so what happened is, how do you create a country, right, that keeps this biblical principle, the center of what God is commanding us to do through the apostle Peter, while at the same time recognizing the incredible 2000 year history or 18 year, 1500 years of absolute abuse by human authority. Okay. They just came out of this whole idiotic notion of what King Henry the eighth started was called the divine right of Kings, right? Because I have this blood. God has given me a divine right to tell you what to do and I can control your life. Right. right. And so one of the things that I think is really fascinating is our founding fathers, right? Understood this and said, as followers of Jesus, we are commanded by Peter to submit to the human authority. And since our founding fathers knew this, they saw the incredible abuse throughout history. They realized a very simple truth. What if the human authority that we set up the one we are called to be in submission to is not a human being. It is not a king. It's not an emperor, but it is something else. It is a principle called the rule of law. It is called the constitution of the United States of America. We don't have Kings. What do we have? We have presidents, right? We don't have uh, governors appointed by an emperor to rule over us. We have elected officials that can only serve terms and they must be re-elected to their terms. This is what the constitution lays out. Why did it lay it out that way? It laid it out that way in order to say that the supreme authority of our civilization that we must submit to is not a person. Okay. And it's not the mad democracy of mob rule either. Okay. Mm -hmm. What it is, is it's a representative Republic. And so it avoids the two extremes. We are not to submit to a pure raw democracy, which is the rule of the mob. And as you know, a mob can get whipped up into a frenzy pretty quick, Absolutely, you know, and make really bad judgments. On the other hand, we cannot, uh, uh submit to one person, one person. We don't need a King and we don't need that any more because in order to fulfill the biblical principle of submit to authority, our founding fathers said that the authority, the human authority that we will set up is the rule of law. And when you go back and you read our founding fathers, when you go back and read the federalist papers, and when you go back and read John Locke and all of these guys that formulated the whole notion and idea of the social contract of who we were to be as a nation, they talk about this all the time. Mm. They talk about the natural law. They 
talk about the law of providence. They talk about this all the time. And they said, what we are going to be is we're going to submit to the authority that human beings set up. And what is that authority? It's the constitution of the United States. It is the rule of law. So this is really, really important to understand because most people today in Christianity think that, man, if I get the person that I want to follow elected and then I submit to them, no, you're not called to submit to a person. Even if it's the president of the United States or the governor of the state, what you are called to submit to by Peter in this passage is the rule of law. So this is kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I mean, Get you thinking in a new way, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you're, you're saying that the followers of Jesus who take the Bible as the word of God, follow Peter, following Peter's command yeah. not to follow a person or a human authority, but instead submitting to the authority set up by our constitution. They said, yeah. no longer should we be submitting to these people that are obviously sinful and in make up their own laws, yeah, their own whatever laws, they want to do. Yeah. But we're also not saying everybody gets to do whatever they want and let the chaos reign and do whatever. And we're just going to be hiding here in our church. Instead, you're saying their call to action was the constitution. Yes. And this is what's really, really important. And that is, is that this is very salty. And, and, uh, there's some people over the years that have come to, uh, they're a part of our community. And then when they finally figure this out, they decide, Oh, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And that is, this is that whenever the government dictates to me as a leader of the church is to our eldership or to the leadership of foothills, they try to dictate something to us, right? We take it as a suggestion. It's always a suggestion because the constitution specifically says that the government shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. So, so what we have to do is, is oftentimes when the government comes out and says, well, we have zoning laws. We want you to follow the zoning laws. We take that as a suggestion and say, well, we're, we're good. We want to be good citizens mm -hmm. and we want to, yeah, this is a good law to have it. it it's applied equally to everybody. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. We're going to follow the zoning laws. Oh, you have to have a building permit because it's designed. Okay. Yeah, sure. We can do that. We can apply for building permits and permission to build stuff like that. But what's really fascinating is to realize is that when the governor in Idaho stood up during COVID and said, we're shutting everything down. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they did it incrementally. You know, at first it was you no, know, nothing over 250 people in one one collective and then it got down to 50 and then it went down to 10, you know? And so during and that period of time with yourself, yeah, cause you're dangerous. <laughs> cause yeah. You're, you're dangerous when you're all alone by yourself. But what happened is it's so interesting is that every single day I was calling the governor's office and I was calling the, uh, central district health. And I was saying, okay, how does this apply to churches? Well, we'll get back. We'll get back to you on that. We'll get back to the end. And they never got back to me. I call every day. Mm. And I, I call the governor's office and then eventually he said, Hey, I'm hosting a, a phone call, you know, for all the pastors. So I get on that to listen to that. And so what was interesting is, you know what the debate was? The whole debate was, was does the governor have the authority to do that? Right. Now in any other system of governance, a king or a dictator would say, we're going to do this. In China, you know what they did? They said, okay, everybody's there. And then they went around and they welded people's doors shut. Right. You know, and everybody complied. Right. And so what's really fascinating is in America though, though, the question was, 
it's not whether you're saying we have to do this. It's, do you actually have the authority to do that? Mm. And has the legislature given you that authority? And let me tell you what, there was all kinds of debate about that behind the scenes going on because that was a really big deal. Right. And so the, here, here's the point is that I'm not trying to blow people's mind. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people to realize that we can't pick and choose what verses we want to follow based on our whims, our own personal ideology or thoughts. Mm. We are called to submit to the word of God. And this is why living in America is probably one of the best blessings you could ever have, because no matter how messed up it gets and how many people violate the constitution or the principles of the constitution, we are called as Christians to submit to the authority of the land and the authority in America has never been invested in a person. Mm. It's always been invested in the constitution and the rule of law. And so we're going to talk a lot more about this during our series that's coming up after this one called My Political Jesus, mm-hmm. which is going to, I think, be wildly hair-raising. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I want people to really understand that Peter said this, and we are to abide by it. And yet our founders gave us a gift by saying human, the authority that humans have set up in America was never invested in a person. It's vested in the rule of law and the constitution. Well, I just really appreciate how much you've really broken these things down for us. You've given us definitely some things to critically think about and understand. <laughs> I hope so. um, we'll, we'll be tied it over till Sunday with this uh, level of thinking. So thank you so much for sharing this with us, Pastor. And I encourage you guys, as you are thinking through this, talk with someone else about it. If, mm-hmm. if you have a friend that doesn't listen to the Salty Pastor, be like, hey, have you ever thought about this idea? And talk about it. That's the best way for you to really understand what you believe and why you believe it is not to just sit in your room or sit and do the dishes mm-hmm. and go, oh, that was a nice thought Pastor Doug had. But instead, <laughs> Ask actually Ask them to engage. listen to it and then debate Yeah, me. debate yeah. or engage yeah. in that conversation so that you can both understand better what you do and don't believe. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. All right. Blessings.